I get to wrap it up now, um, which I'm looking forward to. Lots of people have been asking me what's happened with the redevelopment. Um, the answer is nothing. We almost got to the starting point, the starting post, with um, places for people, big uh, housing association and broad church asset management, which helps churches. But um, the project's hit a pause, and that's to do with internal reasons affecting places for people, and the uncertainty around Brexit isn't helping either. I'd happily tell you a lot more if you come and talk to me afterwards. We have emailed everybody um, about some proposed changes to our constitution to kind of uh, widen the membership of the charity that owns and operates the church. And um, if you are on our email list, you will have this. If for some reason it's passed you by and you like it, uh, Andrew has lots of copies which he'd love to give away afterwards. Okay. I want to take you back to the very first Easter Sunday around this time of day. So coming on for lunchtime, though most of them would have had very little appetite. Jesus' tomb has been empty since the break of dawn but the disciples are confused and traumatised. It looks like the authorities in Jerusalem were not satisfied with killing Jesus. They want to dishonour his body as well, and someone has interfered with the tomb. The women went early, they brought back reports of angels and so on. Mary Magdalene says she's met Jesus, but when Peter and John ran to the tomb, it was empty, there was nothing there, except some grave clothes. And all the disciples have gathered in the upper room. The atmosphere is complete despair with no faith and no hope. They all had such absolute confidence in Jesus. He so obviously planned that last week in Jerusalem. He wasn't taken by surprise at any point, not even when he was arrested, and yet he failed, and now he's dead. You know, in the garden, when Peter drew his sword, Jesus said, Don't you understand I can appeal to my father to intervene at any time? But for the first time, it seems like Jesus was wrong. And for the disciples, and especially for Peter, Jesus was dead and it was all over. See, Peter had confessed Jesus as the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, replied Jesus, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. But Jesus was dead, and Peter was a realist. 
He couldn't be having with apparitions and visions of angels or following the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount or any of that stuff. Imagine that you've taken your small children to see the Jungle Book, the Disney version, because you enjoyed it so much as a kid. And then right at the end, the tiger kills Mowgli and eats him. And the film ends with Baloo and Bagheera frozen in horror. And the screen goes blank and the light comes up and all the children are sobbing and you're thinking, that's not the story. That's, that's not the story. That is just a pale reflection of what it was like for the disciples. They could not get round that Jesus was dead. And at some stage on Sunday afternoon, around this time of day, Peter had had enough and he walked out of the upper room and left them to it. And Jesus met him. We, we don't have any record at all of that meeting and its content. Later on, when... Jesus and Peter are dealing with what happened in the high priest's courtyard. We have the conversation on the beach with John. But at that point, all we know is that the meeting happened. It's in Luke 24, 34, if you're taking notes. We have no details, but Luke records the disciples saying, he has appeared to Peter. So Peter went back to the upper room with a very different heart. And then in came the two disciples who'd gone to Emmaus and who had met Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And Peter told the others and the disciples at Emmaus told the others, I'm sure Peter apologised to Mary Magdalene for not believing her. And while they were still talking about it, Jesus himself came and stood among them. And to begin with, they were terrified and frightened, but Jesus talked them through it, and very soon, resurrection joy filled the room. Jesus himself stood among them. Back to the jungle book. The kids are crying, but the lights go down again. The screen comes up. Mowgli trots out of the bushes and says, I told you I could deal with that tiger. And the children stop crying, but you're thinking, well, that's not PG. Jesus himself stood among them, and suddenly it was all right. They were still confused. They still didn't know what they were doing. But all of a sudden, it was all right because Jesus was standing among them and he's standing among us as well. He is our shepherd and we are his sheep and he loves us. And this is more important than any budget or strategy or vision 
that he is our shepherd and we are his sheep and he loves us. He delights in us. We're his kids. And it is from that perspective and only from that perspective that we want to make life better and make disciples and see the city transformed. If you could put up the map of the city, you can see Philadelphia marked with a P and King Centre with a K. And one way of understanding the city is to follow the line of the A61, the Peniston Road. Next slide, please. From the north, around the outside of the city centre, and then out again to the south as the Chesterfield Road. And um, very generally speaking, and, and it is, you know, it's a generality, it's not completely accurate, but generally, the area to the south and the west that you see shaded in purple is much more prosperous and most of the churches and most of the Christians are there. The area to the east and the north highlighted in green, which is about two-thirds of the city, is much less prosperous and most of the areas with high deprivation indices are there and there are far fewer churches, especially in the north. And somewhat prophetically, Philadelphia sits right on the northern boundary and King Centre is not far from the southern boundary. And our primary sense of calling of what it is that God's given us to do as his family for the southwest, the purple bit, is mission through communities and households, through neighborhoods, in our workplaces, wherever we find ourselves. I'll come back to that in a minute. But our primary strategy for the two-thirds, where there are very few churches and not many Christians is church or gospel planting through the work of our social action ministries and our youth ministries, Forge and Restore. And this is something that God has put into our hands, and it's amazing. And what we do is we partner with other churches and organisations, generally if their church is very small ones. We don't go anywhere just on our own, we look for an open door that the Holy Spirit's giving us and then we do as many things in that area as we can, starting with the children and young people. Stomp clubs for children, drop-ins, open youth groups, Bible study, football, schools, coaching. We aim to have as many interactions with the kids as we can with the aim of making life better but also unashamedly making disciples of Jesus Christ. But it's not just to see children and young people becoming Christians. Forge has always done that. What we're looking for is to plant faith communities in the parts of the city where there aren't any and see churches grow from that. You can put the next slide up. That is kind of the five major places where we're working. 
It's not a church planting strategy that starts with a minister and a building and a congregation. It's one that starts with the kids and what they need and goes to them. And because it's in partnership, and because actually we've got quite good at external fundraising, it's multipliable. And we are looking to see churches emerge. It isn't just forge. On the back of what's happening, we are planning to add in appropriate ministries from Restore that we have learned to do well. Because it's not just the kids, it's their mum as well. You know, what does she need? Is it debt counselling? Is it a food bank? Is it a drop-in cafe? Is it befriending? And of our five main areas, the Shire's been running very well now for over 10 years, well over 10 years, but the rest are much newer. And we have number six on the way, um, we're already partnering with Hope Community Arbathorn, but from July, we're going to get a curate, if you would put up the next slide. Um, that's our new curate, Lucy, with Lucy Howarth, with her fiancé, Nat. They're going to be starting with us from July, and the Church of England is paying her stipend. We're not. Um, they're doing that because they believe in our church planting strategy, um, and they think it can bring back to life churches where there's actually nothing or very little there. Uh, Lucy's been studying for three years at Trinity College in Bristol. They're getting married in September, and Lucy's going to be ordained on the 30th of June. Do pray for her as she experiences the culture shock of becoming part of NCS. Hopefully it will be a really nice culture shock, but it will be one nonetheless. And Lucy's job is to work with Forge and Restore to extend the kind of gospel planting that I've been talking about in partnership with the Diocese of Sheffield. And this is all God's grace. It can't be planned like a network of Costa coffee shops where we say we'll have one there, one there, one there, one there. It all relies on the Holy Spirit giving us an open door. And, and there are others in the pipeline as well. And Sam Evans is leading it. It's growing. Restore is very much part of the vision. Increasingly, Forge and Restore are working together. Go Sheffield was an example of that. But there's something particular that we can do to support the Shire Green community today. Uh, you probably heard of the death of two children in a very nasty incident there. The family wasn't directly connected with our community, but many of the children know their children. And the community is reeling, as you would expect. There's a, there's a heavy sense of oppression over it. And we can support, we can help to support and encourage the leaders of the Shire Green community. Some of them are here this morning, I think. Um, Sam is and, and Rachel... Not Sam and Rachel, Charlotte and Robin. Would you just stand up a moment so that we can see you? Would you mind doing that? Okay. Can, can, we, can we just pray for them? Yeah. yeah, you can sit down. Lord, would you bless them, protect them, encourage them 
as they minister grace. And um, if you could put up the, the next slide, uh, the, the local church, St. James and St. Christopher, is, is having a vigil from three to five, but in the church hall, the Shire Green community are kind of offering refreshments and a loving and a listening ear and the opportunity for prayer for anyone who wants to come. And we've got no idea how many people might come and they might be overwhelmed. If you would be up for being there um, between three and five, you don't have to be the whole, there the whole time, and just being a listening ear, would you come and talk to me or Anne or Sam Evans or any of the senior team afterwards and we'll kind of point you in the right direction? Not only that, but Firth Park Academy, which we have very good links with, have said we can run um, prayer rooms all next week at lunch and after school So if you are a leader in our church and you've had prayer ministry training and you have a CRB and you'd be willing to staff one of those with other people, not on your own, would you come and talk to us? We would really, really like to offer that support to the school. The the pupils are are reading this, the community's under pressure. There have been two more stabbings since. It's a really hard time for them, but it's in that context that the powerful work of the gospel and the spirit is present to transform lives and people are open in ways that they're not in easier times please come and speak to me around about that afterwards right if you could put the next slide up I want to close with the one third of Sheffield the area in purple where most people here today live and which makes the mission to the two-thirds possible. Mission in one-third Sheffield is just as cool. It's just as central to God's heart. And without it, we would not have a gospel-planting strategy for two-thirds Sheffield. Without one-third Sheffield, two-thirds Sheffield would not be there. That's where the culture comes from, the culture of go, the culture of expectation, the willingness, the sacrifice to be a volunteer, the giving. It comes from the one-third Sheffield. And mission through communities is part of our DNA. And our call is to sharpen it up. Josh is leading it. There are places where it's buzzing and places where it's not so much buzzing. But it does feel like a time to move. If you read our annual meeting brochure, which I hope you will, and you read Anne's bit on prophecy and prayer, you see in there that she has a bit about a tree stump as a picture of what God's saying to us with shoots coming up covered in blossom. It feels like a time to move. How are you going to respond? I'm coming into land. If you're significantly engaged with Forge and Restore, you may already know, but for a majority of us, for whom that's not our primary call, how are you going to respond? I want to give you three options, and you can do all of them, and they are play, pray, and pay. And it's very simple. The play means you get to join in. 
you get to join in. If there is one thing that would make us sharper and more effective, it would be that in our neighbourhoods and in our workplaces, we are bolder and transparent about who we are. And You've heard me say this before, but I'm going to keep on saying it. Boldness and transparency is going to unlock what God wants to do. And it's my observation that Christians generally, we protect ourselves, especially at work, but in our neighbourhoods as well. We protect ourselves by not being quite transparent about what makes us tick and who we really are. And um, there's a number of litmus tests that you can use I said it before, I'll say it again, but what did you do on Sunday is one of, one of my favourite ones because how you're going to answer that in the workplace is a clue to how transparent you are. You can say, I went for a walk, get zero points for that. You can say, oh, I went to church, you get two points for that. But if you say something about your spirituality and your walk with God... You, you get 10 points. If you say, oh, it was our annual church meeting and you know, somebody told this story about the kids in Shire Green and it really touched my heart. Or our community is getting involved with people who are traumatised because of the stabbings and it really touched my heart. You know, that communicates who you are. And, and I know that the way of Jesus rubs up against what the world thinks makes for human flourishing and that sometimes that's uncomfortable, which is why we protect ourselves. Be bold, be transparent. Please pray. In our booklet, there's stuff from Anne about how we are organising to support what we do in prayer. Please do it. And finally, and this really is the end, you can pay. It all takes money. And twice a year... As, as well as regular giving, we have an opportunity to sow into the work of Forge and Restore because it stretches us as a church to do it. It's on top of our tithe. I think if you look at all the money that we spend together, somewhere between 30 and 40% of, of, of the giving here goes beyond ourselves. And that's a stretch. And, and there's stuff that you just cannot get external funding for, especially leadership. So today there's going to be an offering which we're going to take in a minute as, as we come to worship. Um, and I'm going to invite you to give, forge and restore. <laughs>